The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. Dinah Games this evening is the chief executive, well, every evening, she's the chief executive of Africa at work. This evening, she joins us, as she often does, to talk about business on the African continent and many of the um, opportunities and many of the challenges, many of the problems that uh, are faced by businesses uh, going out and risking capital on the African continent. I don't know if you've seen it yet, and it may just be a little bit fresh this evening, Diana Games, uh, but uh, the latest company uh, to announce that it is withdrawing from European operations to capitalize on the blood, sweat and tears um, that many African operations will bring, but with higher margins, um, is Imperial Logistics. It's a big shape-shifting moment for this company. Oh, Bruce, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, uh, Imperial is actually very big on the African continent. They have a couple of businesses in uh, Nigeria, for example, and uh, they, they have a lot of companies are refocusing the um, their, their attention, mm, MTN would be another one, on the African continent. So I think that that certainly makes sense to say, well, we've got so many opportunities here. Let's see if we can, um, we can capitalize on this in a way that makes sense. And of course, we understand how things work and we already have the intelligence, we have the experience, etc. So that certainly makes sense to hear that, yeah. Um, it, it is so interesting. I mean, they've been building this business for a decade. There's over a billion dollars of revenues in it. It is significant, um, as you say, um, and fascinating to see the, um, the sort of move, the latest of many, many South African companies that are doing precisely that and finding opportunities um, on the on the African continent where their predecessors, the people who ran these businesses before them, um, saw the opportunities elsewhere. I think it's massively encouraging. Um, Safaricom, now Safaricom isn't that well known in South Africa, but it's a massive player on the African continent and it's picking a fight in Ethiopia. Well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see whether it ends up being a fight, but actually what's happening is that um, Ethiopia is going to set up bidding for two licenses. It shortlisted, it announced, I think this week, shortlisted six companies to bid for these two mobile phone licenses. And this is a huge business story for for uh, any any company in uh, Ethiopia is a big story potentially for any company because the, the economy has been so closed for so long and the government is now opening up and telecoms is a clear leader in the space and 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 the mobile phone um, industry is is set to gain from this in in the past Ethiopia telecom which is a state-owned operator has been the only player and people are just you know the the there's so much pent-up demand you've got a second highest population in sub-saharan africa 110 odd million people after nigeria and one one telecoms player and that at, at that a government-owned one so people are really desperate to get these licenses this is a huge opportunity huge market so much pent-up demand and safaricom is i suppose if if tele if, if mtn looks at who their competitors are um, Ethiopia um, is, is, a, is, is a place where MTN could replicate its success in uh, Nigeria, but it's not clear exactly who the six companies are, but all the big names are in there. Safaricom has got Vodafone and Vodacom as part of a consortium that's bidding for this. Um, Orange is always a player in Africa, so they're also apparently in there. I'm not sure if they're all on the shortlist, but it seems likely, Etisalat and others. So this is a very big opportunity. And then on top of that, you have um, Ethiopia, Ethio Telecom, which is the state-owned operator, 
is also disposing of 40% of its of its um, stake. So there, there's a lot of opportunity in Ethiopia. I mean, there is a war raging in the north of the country, but as we know with, in Africa, um, you know, these kind of issues, moral issues, I suppose, um, of, of this kind of thing have not deterred savvy investors in the past, and they're not likely to put people yeah. off uh, going yeah. forward with these kind of opportunities in Ethiopia. I suspect um, people will, will just go forward regardless. <clears throat> yeah, and, I... I... Sorry, uh, we are crossed lines and crossed wires this evening. Um, Diana Games, Chief Executive of Africa at Work. Nigeria, now are they digging in their heels? Uh, are they looking uh, to change the the boundaries, if you like, of the Africa Free Trade Agreement? Is that agreement at risk? Well, I don't know if it's at risk per se. I mean, Nigeria has always has relied a lot on these kind of protectionism to build what what it says is its manufacturing industry. But in fact, it hasn't played that as cleverly as it could have in the past. So it hasn't really had the success it was looking for. And it continues to look at protectionism as a way of evading um, this kind of openness that the African free trade area um, has is, is, is pushing for. So what it has done is expanded the number of items that won't be liberalized under the African free trade area rather than, than, than to going the other way, which is in the intention, I think, of this, of this plan. Um, so it's included things like cement, rice and sugar in, in, the, um, in the number of items that won't be liberalized. And you can understand a country saying, well, we've got infant industries, we really want to build this up. But in fact, things like, for example, cement, the Dangote Group is the biggest um, cement uh, producer in Africa. And uh, so, so how that qualifies as something that you wouldn't liberalize, I'm not sure. But I think there's a bigger issue in Nigeria, and that is that the, the whole infrastructure of trade is, is, dis, is, is, is not well built at, 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 at best, at worst, dysfunctional. So people are worried that can Nigeria really compete in this environment? People are looking and people will say, well, you can actually export as, uh, as well as import. You have this kind of this benefit. But in Nigeria, you know, the market firstly is so big and there's not enough production and manufacturing for them to, to, to produce for the local market, let alone for export. So there's a lot of issues around what's happening in Nigeria around the free trade area. And they're only recently, I mean, just before the um, before the new year, when the free trade area came into into force, um, only just before that did Nigeria um, ratify it and also open its land borders, which had been closed before that. So there's a lot of question marks around, and and, and just remembering that this is Africa's biggest economy. So it's not a small country where you can kind of think, well, you know, let 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 them get on with it. Um, but there's a lot of concern about whether the Nigeria's is ready for this and whether it's um, willing to go ahead with what is required. And there's a huge amount of lobbying by the private sector um, on the basis that I think people have just, you know, companies have got used to a certain level of protectionism. Nigeria also has a, a, a very long list of, of goods that cannot be imported into Nigeria, which has affected a lot of South Africa's trade with Nigeria. Sure. And they, they include a lot of things like, for example, packaged fruit juice um, uh, with uh, plastic, certain plastics, furniture, a whole range of products that Nigeria says, well, we can make these things. Whether they are or not, and whether they are not making them to the level or to, to the, in the volumes that are required is another story. So there's a lot of concerns. And I think the reason I'm raising this is, is, is not so much just about Nigeria, but I think it raises uh, issues around the complexity of this free trade area, 
there's a lot of silver bullet kind of talk about this is going to save Africa and, you know, we're going to move forward. We're going to have all this manufacturing. We're going to have all these things happening. But I think the Nigeria example highlights um, one of one of the big issues. It's, it's like how how do you know should countries protect themselves if so to what extent is that necessary should they open up and see what happens you know there's a lot of issues there and i think what this example really illustrates is the complexity of this mm. legislation we shouldn't no, uh, uh, absolutely absolutely i mean it's just, there's just so much going on and uh, yeah, we need to buy in you either buy in or you don't um kenya airways i mean they've looked at say say a and they've said you are our role model we want to be more like you. We want lots of government money. And Kenya Airways, which a decade ago was the superhero of the African skies, I mean, it was what Ethiopian has become, um, is really taking a lot of strain. You know, exactly that. I mean, I think, you know, Africa's airspace is growing increasingly kind of small um, in terms of African carriers. Kenya Airways, Ethiopian, SAA, those were the three airlines that if you asked about an African carrier, those are the ones people would typically mention. But in fact, Kenya Airways is in deep trouble. Um, it just received, um, I think this week or this month, <clears throat> the second bailout in a year from the government, $90 million. Um, and less than a year ago, it, it had another bailout of $50 million. Um, so the question is, can it survive? So the government has said, well, we will take control of back control of the airline. It did privatize um, a minority portion of the airline some years ago, and Air France KLM was one of the companies that bought in. Um, they are now have, have entered that agreement. The government is buying all out, out all the minority shareholders and pushing a bill for nationalizing the airline. On, on the, in the belief that if the government owns it, they can make it work. And I think what we've seen in South Africa, that is not the case. I think maybe they're looking rather than SAA, they're looking at the Ethiopian model where Ethiopian Airlines is government owned. And it's one of the few um, airlines where it is uniquely well run for a state owned enterprise. And that is because it has been allowed and fought very hard for a huge amount of independence in its operational kind of pro uh, process. So, uh, you know, I just hope, and, and of course, Ethiopian presents a huge um, a competition for for Kenya Airways, which is right next door. Um, and and it's, it, it's really got a much bigger kind of network, much many more planes, all of this kind of thing. Um, and, and Ethiopian is becoming a monopoly in Africa. Um, whether that's good for us or not is another story. But what you are seeing is um, airlines like Qatar and Emirates are really pushing big time into Africa, seeing the gaps that are emerging. And if Kenya Airways goes down the tubes, um, you know, it's, it's, we'll have to see how deep the Kenyan government's pockets are, because we've seen in South Africa how big your pockets need to be to actually go down this particular road. So it'll be interesting to see how this happens. We may end up with no Kenya Airways in the skies. I don't know, SAA is already out, whether it comes back, how governments manage these things. I mean, these are all big issues. But um, I just hope that they're looking at Ethiopian and not SAA as their model going forward, given how what we've been through here. So, um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much this evening on uh, Diana Games, the Chief Executive of the business consultancy Africa at Work. 